Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision making during a racial revolution. Sponsored by Fido Mobile, whose financial contribution we're thankful for. Why? Because it enables us to reach more people than ever before. Stay tuned as we talk about Canadian news and Black issues on a regular basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of March 20th, including the Liberal NDP Plan for Cooperation, former Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders appointed to run for Ford's Conservatives, <laughs> oh. <laughs> the appointment of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court, Jamaica says we're moving on from the monarchy, and plenty more. To kick off our politics segment, welcome to the second coming of progressive cooperation in Canada. This week, we saw another consequential week at the federal level. We've actually been seeing quite a few of those over the past couple of months. JT and Jagmeet took us all the way back to the 60s, baby, to when then-Liberal Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson partnered with then-NDP leader and former Saskatchewan Premier Tommy Douglas to make Canada a more just country for all by taking Douglas's universal public health care scheme and making it national. There were other value adds too. The agreement back then promised to create our public pension program. It also introduced affordable university tuition, opening the door to higher education for Canada's middle class and knowledge is power, right? This golden era in Canadian politics also saw the overhaul of the employment insurance system toward a universal social policy approach and the creation of a serious social housing program. Groovy, baby. Yeah, that was a 60s reference, by the way. But uh, anyway, um, (laughs) that was then. So what's in the agreement today? The Liberal NDP agreement presents a seven-point plan for, one, a better healthcare system, two, making life more affordable for people, three, tackling the climate crisis and creating good-paying jobs, four, a better deal for workers, five, reconciliation, six, a fairer tax system, and seven, making democracy work for people. The two most consequential items probably fall under item one, a better healthcare system. Under the plan, dental care will finally become a reality for all low-income Canadians by 2025. Finally. Dental care would start covering all under the age of 12, then expand to those under 18, seniors, and persons living with disabilities in 2023. It would then expand for full coverage by 2025 for families with household income under 90000 with no co-pays for anyone making less than 70000 Then there's Pharmacare. The plan would see the Canada Pharmacare Act passed by the end of 2023 
which would pave the way for the National Drug Agency to develop a national list of essential medicines and bulk purchasing plan by the end of the agreement in 2025. But there are other measures too, including on affordability. The plan would see the successful Rapid Housing Initiative stay in place for an extra year. It would refocus the Rental Construction Financing Initiative on affordable units, which means units under 80% of the market, and use that 80% market rate or below as definition of affordable housing. And underscoring the entire agreement, as I've already mentioned, is a continued commitment to reconciliation, including another round of massive funding specifically for Indigenous housing. I encourage you all to take a look at the full list yourselves, and I've included the link in the show notes. So how's it being received? Most liberals are pretty happy because it means stability over the remainder of this parliament, where the government doesn't have to deal with the procedural stalling tactics from conservatives who love to hold up legislation that actually helps people. Most NDPers are pretty happy for kind of the same reason, particularly that dental care and pharmacare will finally have their day in Canada, although some groups like the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives say the agreement should have gone further. But they're never satisfied, so who cares? Anyway, uh, but then there's <laughs> the media and the conservatives themselves. Yo, fam, patience. They, they can't stand it. Conservative leader Candace Bergen loves calling it a backroom power grab, saying it's a desperate attempt to cling to power, as if Justin was losing power, but he's not. You didn't and the stand media... a chance, Candace. You didn't stand a chance. <laughs> Chill out. And the media, yo... For, let me just give one example, right? I was watching CBC's Power in Politics. Mm-hmm. The line of questioning to both NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and on a separate occasion, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominique LeBlanc was the same, all framed to make this agreement sound like a negative when, in fact, it's about to usher in Canada's second golden age of social development. Right. The questions all sound like this, patients. Why did you need to do this? Weren't both your parties working well together before? Uh, 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 isn't this a power grab? Uh, won't this cost too much money? I, I, listen, I want to touch on the the point of money cost? in particular. Yeah, what? I, I was I was look. I heard Vashi Capellos, who hosts uh, Power in Politics, ask the question. You know, the dental care plan alone will cost one point eight eight billion dollars, then drop to eight hundred to eight hundred fifty million dollars per year, according to the Parliamentary Budget Office. The tally of our debt right now is one hundred forty four billion. Can we afford this? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous because, like, it's it, it's extremely rich. In fact. Considering right now, our political and military elite are having very real and relevant conversations about finally increasing our military spending to 2% of GDP by spending an extra $9 billion a year right. extra on national defense. With a B. We currently, right. With a B. We currently spend about $24 billion. Right. Stop. Right. Stop. Right? Like, if, if you've ever had uh, a toothache... You know how important dental care is, man. That is not... core service, core health care. Like, anyway, please continue. And we got people saying, oh, it might be too expensive. Listen, pa- patients, what are your thoughts on the agreement? Uh, you know, do you think it's a, a, a net negative as many are trying to portray it to be? 
absolutely not. As someone who <laughs> considers themselves to be a progressive, this is actually the best of both worlds. I, okay. I was watching someone talk about how this, because we have so many parties in the system and because we do operate on a first past the post system, this is actually the most direct, this is the best possible result of a first past the post system. You have these two leaders who cumulatively have over 50% of the popular vote in power. That's what yep. we want. Yep. I don't, I don't get like conservatives. Yo fam, criticize all you want. Cause that's your job as the yeah. official opposition. But come right. on, you weren't going to get Candace fam. You weren't going to get it. Even if we had an election in, you know, maybe, maybe 2023, late 2023 or 2024. Nah, fam, you're not going to get, you weren't going to stop this from happening. And this only goes until 2025 anyway. She needs to get her shit together. They they literally need to get their shit together. Like, this gives you good time, you know? You, you can make up all the propaganda that you need against the progressives talking right. about, Oh, you know, we don't need dental care or whatever weird <laughs> like thing you're going to come up with. Now you have a defined deadline for when you need to have your, your stuff together and, and, and get yourself ready for an election. So I think this works for the conservative. I think this works for everyone. And, and I'm really happy <laughs> to, to see it um, come to pass. What about you? What do you think? I mean, other than what you've already said. I mean, I, like, I was about to say, I mean, I, I think I've said what I said. I said what I said. One thing I will say, though, is um, it's really interesting how this came to be, because a lot of folks may not acknowledge that this agreement was actually kind of a long time coming since the 2019 election. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was it was a long time coming since then when, um, you know, the, the, the federal liberals said, we need to find a way to ensure that our agenda is not upended, despite the fact that we have a minority government. And how do we do that? Well, by partnering or aligning ourselves with the most uh, relevant party who could assist us in getting those priorities accomplished, right? It was actually, uh, it was restarted again after the 2021 election. Ironically, it was an NDP MP himself. I believe it was Charlie Angus who, you know, it was, these deliberations were private. And he went to the media and confirmed that the deliberations were happening. And, and quite literally, that is the only reason why this agreement hasn't happened sooner. Literally, it restarted again in January. And the main catalyst, again, for it to restart, guess what? Justin Trudeau calling up Jagmeet Singh and Gurkharan Sidhu to congratulate them for the birth of their child. Right. That's, that, that's such a beautiful story, you know? How Canadian, you know, you, you, you call for a, a, a very personal reason and then end up um, building a legacy, frankly. <laughs> like... Quite frankly, like, <laughs> yeah. like literally these two men, I mean, Trudeau had already done it. And I think in some ways, uh, Jagmeet Singh had already done it with a lot of the proposals that he successfully steered through Parliament. So, for example, I'm thinking about the CERB payment being yes. extended, right? Yeah. Um, I think both men had already secured their legacies in the future or, or in history, I should say. But this particular agreement, it, it, it ensures that they will be spoken about as massively consequential men for decades to come. Can I ask you a question? So I, I've been reading a lot uh, of, uh, you know, comment section level comments that are saying things along the lines of, uh, this is coming as a result of the Freedom Convoy. What do you think about that? What are you hearing, you know, from your position? And um, do you think that there may also have been a bit of a, you know, given that the, the, the conservative MPs 
were frankly supportive of of the convoy and of the mm-hmm. the, the presence that it had in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think about like? Do you think that there's any validity to that argument? Uh, well, yeah, they 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 both said it. They both said that themselves. The oh, they did. Was, they did. One reason was the Ottawa protest. And the other reason was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They saw those two things as creating massive instability. And again, considering the prior conversations that already been had since 2019, they wanted to do something to ensure that Canadians would feel stable moving forward. Another thing to actually point out too, because when we're talking about the trucker protest, the racist ass trucker protest, and the fact that the Emergencies Act was finally called in, it was called in in part because Justin and Jagmeet had this positive relationship. It's possible to say that if these kinds of deliberations on this liberal NDP agreement were not happening, the Emergencies Act would have taken even longer to be put into place because there wouldn't have been that level of trust between the two leaders. Right, yes, yes, because it's such a powerful piece of legislation, yeah. Mm-hmm, Jumping to our next political story, Mark Saunders is running as a progressive conservative in June. Yeah, what? Former Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders will be running as a progressive conservative in the June election. Saunders was the Six's first Black police chief, a role he held for five years before stepping down in 2020 amidst the racial revolution brought about by George Floyd's murder. He was a 25-year veteran of the force. At the time, he shortly thereafter took an envious role as a special advisor to the redevelopment of Ontario Place. Now he's been appointed by Doug Ford once again as the candidate for Don Valley West, which is currently held by former Premier Kathleen Wynne, who isn't seeking re-election. That said, though, he's definitely got the name recognition and he's definitely a catch for Doug Ford, but it won't be a cakewalk for him. Mm. Queen Kathleen, as many call her, has held the riding since 2003, even during the blue wave that saw most of her own team lose their seats. According to trusted poll aggregator 338canada.com, the current frontrunner is liberal candidate Stephanie Bowman, a banking executive. But it does look like Mark will be nipping at her heels. Thoughts on Mark Saunders' appointment as a PC candidate in the Ontario June election, Patience? I don't get it. And, and, and I, I definitely get it from Ford's perspective, I don't mm. get why Mark Saunders would do this to himself. <laughs> why he would do this to himself? Why would you do this to yourself, fam? Whoa. Is this the time? So I, I would argue that at, at other times in Ontario PC party's history, it might've be, yeah. been a good time to join that party, right? Right now? Like is, is now the, the time that you want to join that team? I would argue that, that it's not a good time. Really, eh? That, that that that's not the place to be. <laughs> like, with all of the 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 back and forth, and you know, Doug Ford just seeming as if he's he's doing whatever he can to maintain control of of the province when he has disappointed Ontarians pretty consistently for the last four years. Why would you want to join that 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 party? Is it is it just me? It might be because Doug Ford's got a. He's doing pretty well in the polls right now, um, and um, he's got a pretty strong slate of candidates. Look, from, from my perspective, Doug Ford has gone from, you know, certainly in the minds of most voters, being a an extremely incompetent, harsh, basically racist, sexist, 
you know, anti-education, anti-science, anti-climate change. I'm sorry, what has changed? Nothing. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, the, the truth is, he's gone from that to what? <laughs> like, no, the, I very much the, still see him like that. The truth is that all of those things, he can make arguments to say that he's not anymore. What? He can. Make, he, can. he actually can make those arguments. What I'm getting at, though, is the fact that he's really, he's moved from a deplorable space to a true progressive conservative space. And when you consider the fact that basically what Mark Saunders did for the police force was slow the rate of change and progress, right? When you consider that, he's a perfect match for the PC party and the PC party is a perfect match for him. I feel like you just dragged Mark Saunders. I didn't expect you to drag him. I mean, that's I wasn't. I wasn't wasn't even dragging him, though. I was being very, like, you know, fact-based. He slowed the rate of progress. It's like, drag. No, but I I mean, in the best way possible. In the... In the best way possible, right? Like you're, you're basically like, I mean, yeah. If yeah, I, I guess I, I, well, I'd never thought about it that that way. But of course, Mark Saunders was there when Black Lives Matter Toronto kind of, yep, yeah, uh, was was seeking change, and he definitely, uh, you know, slowed. slow. <laughs> he slow. definitely slowed things down. So, yeah. Like, like, let me let me let me let me kind of like highlight what I'm talking about, right? Because like it might it might be good to kind of go into detail. So. Saunders' first year was spent building an action plan to fix key problems with TPS, right? It was aimed at overhauling police service delivery, decreasing costs, and improving declining public trust. The goals and recommendations were drawn up by a task force made up equally of police and community members, including uh, former Toronto Budget Chief David Zaknaki, who you could consider kind of a progressive, and community advocate Idil Burati. That task force made 33 recommendations, but results have been mixed. For example, he was supposed to rein in the police budget. The police budget exceeded a billion dollars in 2019 and 2020. He did roll out a hiring freeze between 2016 and 2018 that led to a savings of $100 million. But what's $100 million to $1 billion? Oh my gosh. Borali, who I mentioned as part of Saunders' task force earlier, said Saunders was, quote, very much a cop's cop, end quote, who saw and, quote, understood everything first and foremost from a police operations lens, end quote. Which, of course, meant that things like carding were seen as useful for public safety. Oh, my God. This is, this is like, just, I can't. Right? Um, Even though it further alienated black and brown communities. Burali said, quote, she appreciated that Saunders made progress in evolving his thinking on these topics in the last five years, kind of like what I alluded to, Patience. Right. Sadly, to some, this coming to terms might have been too slow and late, end quote. Hmm. Other Black community advocates, like Louis March, a founder of Toronto's Zero Gun Violence Movement, said Saunders put in, quote, a good effort, but the reality is gun violence went up during his tenure. There's only so much that can be achieved when investments are not going to the community, but rather to policing, end quote. right. I don't know. All that to say that while the man wasn't like, I don't think he was all bad, but he didn't perform his role with our community in mind first. And that gives me pause for giving my support to him and his candidacy as a black man. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the real change agent was Peter Slowly. Right. Despite what Ottawa did to him, I wonder if he'll be putting his name in the ring anywhere, anytime soon. Man. I hope so. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Moving on to blackity, black, black. So right before the holy month of Ramadan, a hate crime is committed at a mosque in Mississauga. So here's what happened. Uh, A man entered a mosque on Saturday morning, and this is uh, Saturday, March 19th, and attacked the people gathered for Fajr, dawn prayer, with bear spray. The man was also, quote, brandishing a hatchet, end quote. The 24-year-old man was taken into custody and investigators are considering all possible motivations, including hate motivation, but charges have yet to be laid. Some people did suffer minor injuries from the bear spray uh, and a couple of, uh, and even a couple of days after the incident, you could still smell the, the, you could still smell the bear spray in the mosque, but it really begs the question, will this ever end? Hmm. Nadia Hassan, chief operating officer of the National Council of Canadian Muslims, said that about 20 people were in the mosque at the time and that, quote, a number of men who were there for prayer tackled the man and they Mm -hmm. apprehended him until the police came. People are obviously quite shaken up and are recovering. But I think for the most part, folks are still processing what's happened and are trying to see how they can ensure that their communities remain secure. So before I ask you about your thoughts on this, Curtis, I I find the timing of this, you know, in relation to the holy month of Ramadan and in relation to the, the, the opening up, the reopening of Ontario, quite frustrating. Like we have been in lockdown, you know, unable to worship and, and pray and, and come together in spaces like that. And then we, we open up the, the province and a couple of weeks later, this happens leading up to the most sacred, precious time for this particular community. What, what are your thoughts on, on what's going on? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, for those who, you know, for those in the Muslim community who continue to have to deal with this bullshit, you know, um, I stand with you wholeheartedly. Um, you know, my Muslim friends know I've been like this for a long time. I mean, uh, when it comes to people engaging in these sorts of violent, vicious, hateful acts, I am, as I've told many people, I am, I have no problem prosecuting those people. And many of you would know what that means when I say I have no problem prosecuting those people. Anyway, on the other hand, I will also say, you asked when will this end? It probably won't. But what we have to continue to do is every time one of these dumbasses tries to instill fear into the other, whether they're Muslim or Black or Asian or Jewish, 
um, there have to be strong measures in response. There have to be strong measures in response. And so what I'll say in conclusion is we found this guy. Great. Make sure he's charged with a hate crime. Keep him locked up and then throw the whole jail away. And throw the whole jail away. We shall. moving on to news from the world okay so there was a lot going on in the world this week so i i'm I'm expecting you know some real conversation around this stuff curtis so first (laughs) we had the appointment of judge katanji brown jackson to the supreme court of the united states she was you know joe biden's supreme court pick and you, you know spent this week basically answering questions about her career and her record from lawmakers who sit on on this uh, key Senate panel. Mm -hmm. Even before this week's formal proceedings took place, there were already questions from Republicans by and large as to whether Ketanji Brown Jackson was an affirmative action pick. And, And this, apparently, this was just the beginning of the disrespect because at the confirmation hearing the disrespect was rampant out of order okay mm. so first we have you know senator fled cruz i'm still calling him that i don't <laughs> care what anybody says it's not ted it's fled fled cruz kept asking her about ibram x kendi's uh, anti-racist baby book which apparently he hasn't read, but, you know, someone did actually <laughs> buy this for me and for my son. And th- th- let me be clear. W- number one, that book is not actually intended for Black people. That book mm. is intended to teach non-Black people how to teach their children to not be racist towards our babies. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Second of all, it's about an anti-racist baby. And, and about, like, raising your child to have anti-racist values. In no way, shape, or form does it call babies racist Hmm. it it reaffirms (laughs) the fact that racism is learned in the home and is 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 not is not something that you are born with so like that as a like a a basic point of of like reading comprehension what was really missed um as i was listening to um fled cruz talk and then the, the thing that i think is more of of the landmine question and and the inappropriate question was when another senator she's she's a, a woman senator asked judge katanji brown jackson to define the term woman or to find to define what what a woman is and katanji brown jackson said you know what i i, I cannot do that for you knowing that the definition of that term is a polarizing question for the audience Mm -hmm. and she didn't come prepared to define the term like that's not what she does she's not an english teacher or a a a critical race theorist or or, sorry not not a critical race it would be like um a critical feminist she 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 wouldn't like (laughs) she she has studied the law she has practiced the law this woman is coming from appeals court, from district court. This woman clerked for the Supreme Just the Supreme Court justice that she is looking to replace. Her exposure to the institution, to the law, is so far above theirs that it's actually laughable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I I really don't understand how, how 
these questions, I mean, I, I know that these questions activate their base and I, I get it. Are people not thinking past the initial questions anymore? Are people not like reading in between the lines? I think they're doing so for what they want to see. Yeah, right. I, I just, I like, and then there was an interview with the the woman, the, the, the senator who asked uh, Katanji Brown Jackson to define woman. And she said, a woman is, is you know, a, a, a woman. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, you, you can't even define the term woman without using the word in its own definition. So anyway, it, it's it's a uh, it, it, it's it's hard out here, man. It's hard out here. It, it's it. What I found really uh, unfortunate and and disheartening uh, is that we need to justify literally the most qualified Supreme Court nominee that that they've seen in the U.S. in the last thirty years. Yeah, it's part of what they do, though. Um, I think what's important to just maybe focus on because this you know that process that judge brown or judge jackson rather went through it's going to happen to other um nominees of color certainly for women nominees of color in the future so it's just the way it is but i think we should focus on the fact that she was confirmed and the u.s supreme court has its first black woman ever on the bench ever ever Yeah. yeah It's a good day for America. And third black person ever. And third black person ever. Yep. 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 We're not even going to get into the mess that is Clarence Thomas and his wife, but uh, someone should go look that up. (laughs) Clarence Thomas's wife is involved with trying to get the 2020 election results overturned. Oh, yeah. Go Google that. Yeah, Yeah. Fun times. The the next story from the world, uh, you know, Curtis. Anyway, I'm, I'm so looking forward to your your opinion and your yeah. and your thoughts on this. Yeah. Uh, Jamaicans uninvite Will and Kate and ask for slavery reparations. I'm very intentionally calling these two Will and Kate and not whatever. <laughs> <laughs> His Royal Highness, nah, not from me. You're not getting that from me. So apparently, Will and Kate wanted to celebrate the legacy of Bob Marley, and the good people of Jamaica are not having it. No, sir. A group of Jamaican business leaders, doctors, and politicians have penned an open letter calling for slavery reparation payments and an apology for colonialism from the British monarchs, reports yeah, The Guardian. Yeah, man. Say yes, sorry. Right. <laughs> Say Excerpts, sorry. From the letter... <laughs> Excerpts from the letter include, quote, we see no reason to celebrate 70 years of the ascension of your grandmother mm-hmm. to the British throne because her leadership and that of her predecessors has perpetuated the greatest human rights tragedy in the history of humankind. Full stop. End quote. Yo, that quote? <laughs> what are you going to say to that? Like, and and people are, are complaining about the, 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 the treatment of Will and Kate when they arrived in Jamaica, but Shut honestly... Up. Fam, when you think about the way that Caribbeans are treated or were recently treated when there were all these issues with citizenship and passports where... um, I think you're discussing the the Windrush generation. Exactly. The Windrush generation who were, some of whom were deported or had to fight Mm -hmm. tooth and nail to stay in Britain after having their children there, having grandchildren, having homes, having built a life for themselves. And then all of a sudden 
uh, folks are, are 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 being questioned and, and are, are not having access to housing, to jobs, to medical treatment, to pensions, uh, and and just had to figure out the, the paperwork because they they didn't have they had taken for granted that that they would be given the benefit of the doubt when it came to their status. So because of the treatment of the Windrush generation, fam. Get out of there. You you g- give these people their money, give these people their apology, and nobody feels bad for you. Nah, not no. even not even for a second. No. But Chris, I want to know what you feel as a Jamaican. Tell me. That's right. That's right. And and so look, I was um I was very proud to see Prime Minister Andrew Holness stand before uh I will call him his Royal Highness um Prince William and tell him straight to his face and to Kate, we're moving on. We're moving on. Um, it was a, you know, this was a process that very well, you could say, was begun by Prime Minister Mia Motley of, of Barbados. And it's good to see that this is finally going to be a reality for us, too. When we look at the the entire situation that surrounds slavery in Jamaica by the British monarchy uh, and reparations, it's important to kind of highlight the the specifics, right? Right. One thing that a lot of people don't recognize, don't don't acknowledge, is that even in response to slavery being abolished by the British uh, Empire, uh, including in Jamaica all those years back, despite that, did they give any sort of compensation or reparations as we know them to any of the slaves who endured brutality and violence? No, no. Nope reparations as you would expect them to be or i'm not going to call them reparations but compensation was given to the slave masters and the overseers and that only wrapped up in 2015 fam oh i I didn't know 2015 they had been paying the the fee basically oh no for hundreds of years not one of those dollars went to the slaves or their descendants no so that's that's a big part of the issue here, right? Yeah. Then we have we have um, I'm forgetting the MP's name, but the gentleman who is he sits with the government, and he was the one who actually spearheaded this entire process, um, basically saying, "Yo, all we're asking for at this point is what 13.5 billion dollars, which is a fraction of what you paid the slave owners." Right. $13.5 billion. This is what you owe us. Pay it. Right. Pay up. So that's where we are. And I think like 90% of Jamaicans, I mean, that's where we are, man. We're, we're done. Right. We're done. We're done. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, jumping to questions for the audience. So Quebec is spending $3.2 billion on one-time payments of 500 bucks for 6.4 million Quebecers earning $100,000 or less. The move is meant to counter inflation that will likely keep rising due partially to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Quebec Finance Minister Eric Girard, whose Coalition Avenir Quebec government is facing an October election, denied that the move was politically motivated. Personally, I don't think the move was that bad. So what about you? Would you want to see something similar in Ontario? You just listened to episode 81 of The Drip, sponsored by Fido Mobile. 
and we're so thankful for their support, which amplifies important discussions like these in the fight against anti-black racism. Remember, we're releasing pods on a regular basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at the TheDripTO. We love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time.